All right. So, um, what we're going to talk about here for uh, about a half hour or so? Maybe. Give or take. So, all right. So, I'm Jay. And that's Silent Bob. That's how we become to know each other while we were architecting the truck. Um, now, actually, what I want to do is we want to talk not about the truck itself. We want to talk about a lot of the design decisions that went into actually building a data center in the back of an 18-wheeler that was described to us as a 6.0 earthquake for six hours constantly as it drove down the road. That was all the information we had. And we had to start with basically a blank slate, right? Yeah. So, so for real, I'm Chris Galati. This is John Hildebrand. Hello. Um, and we wanted, to, if you have questions or things like that, if we have a way to take that, we can. But uh, so, why did Cohesity actually build this thing? Does anybody know about the Cohesity truck besides us? Because we lived there for eight weeks. No. <laughs> so we actually uh, last year, I'll kind of give you the story. Uh, at our sales kickoff last year, it was an, our CMO announced that she was going to get a truck, and I met her a week after joining the company. Mm -hmm. Uh, she had had a couple of glasses of wine and um, looked at me and said, so you're Chris. And I said, yeah. And she said, you're going to build a truck. And I went, what? <laughs> uh, so what we wanted to do is we wanted to build a rolling EBC, basically a, a briefing center. So this thing goes around the country. It has stops throughout the year. Um, how many did it do so far? Do you know? It's been up to around maybe like 70-ish. Well, and, and I will say you said the country. It's also gone through Canada. Yes, as well. yeah, that was a whole different story and interesting. Um, but what we wanted to do was we wanted to bring it to customers who couldn't come to the EBC. We wanted to use it for events, for VMUG events, for partner events, for places where people hadn't been exposed to the technology. I think the first place we went, one of the bigger ones was Tech Data. We yep. actually brought it to Tech Data shop in Phoenix so that all the folks at Tech Data could actually learn about the technology. Um, we wanted to get more engagement and, and honestly, it's a mobile billboard. I mean, anybody a NASCAR fan or a race fan, you know, when you see them moving around the, the vehicles, you know, you know whose team it is. You know it's Roush or you know it's uh, Stuart Haas, right? It's just, it's a giant billboard going down the highway. Um, and it does about, it was scheduled to do about 120 stops a year. So with this information, we had to figure out a bunch of stuff, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Anything you want to add to this? No, so the one thing we should mention about the stops is the fact that the data center goes on and then it goes off. So for anybody doing any data center design, a lot of the times you never architect for the off part of it. It's usually a mad scramble. Yeah, does anybody actually turn their data center off 20 times a month? <laughs> well, besides you, because you work with us. <laughs> this is not, this made my head hurt, okay? <laughs> We're gonna get into some of the stories and the anecdotes, but yeah, this was the biggest thing. So. Since we're at VMworld, we wanted to kind of cover what is actually running in the back, because we get this question a lot. People see a picture of the data center and they're like, is it real? Is there actually servers back there? Is there really equipment? Yes, uh, it's a ton of uh, ESX servers. We've got Dell running the ESX nodes. We've got uh, a couple Hyper-V nodes. We won't talk about those here. <laughs> well, uh, some VCD nodes. Yeah, and I should already state that we already have, we should be already update this because we've replaced the storage yeah, sorry, array. Yeah, sorry, Pure. There's no more Pure array. There's a Nimble array. <laughs> um, politics are a beautiful thing when you build one of these things. We could get into that too. Um, but we, we used all Cisco Nexus switching. So there's a lot of gear that you don't see. It's actually on the back of the racks. It's all covered up. But we, we wanted to design it not only to be functional, but to be kind of visually pleasing. So. We could have done this with a lot less gear. We don't use half of the compute power in the back of this thing. It's more about walking into the truck and seeing the racks and seeing the layout and having it be more as much of a showpiece as it is a functional. 
So there's literally N plus probably four in some of these nodes. There's just not a lot of work for everyone. More, more like N plus 14 at that yeah. point. But uh, so, so one of the things I wanted to point out, so the GPS time servers. Oh, we'll get into that. So we, we will get into that? Okay. So, but uh, pay attention to that because we've got a very interesting uh, story that both of us just kind of looked at each other and went, oh, we have to solve that problem. There's a reason both of us have no hair on this project. <laughs> so it's just a little bit of a logical architecture because we wanted people to understand as we were designing this out, we said, okay, we can have a data center, we can have demo stations. How do we deal with, you know, let's say demo user A trumping demo user B doing the same demo, you know, how do we work with that, right? And we do it a lot differently in the booth. We actually let them all run amok because we can support it. <laughs> when this thing goes down the road, we let it go, like it's gone. We don't touch it except for once every quarter. So we'll get into the maintenance part. So we had to, we had to figure out if something happens and a demo station goes down, how does it not affect everybody else? So what we actually did was we built a pod-based architecture. So we actually used NSX for this and NSX gateways. So every demo station, when you're standing in a demo station, it's a completely isolated vApp from the next demo station. So each one is the exact clone of each other with the same IP addressing sitting behind an edge gateway. And that's how we get them to be isolated. But what we can do is if one pod goes belly up, we can literally deploy and clone that vApp from a template. Pretty easily, a couple minor configuration things. We haven't had it happen yet, but we didn't want either user in a, on a Wednesday before the next stop on Thursday to basically have to get an admin out there to go fix it, right? So this was just one of those small decisions we had to make at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I think this was great for you because you didn't have any exposure to NSX before this. No, so even though I came from like a service provider background where I should have probably known more about layer three, this, you know, just having to get used to this was something that was well, you know, I, I felt like I was underwater most of the time until I actually started to figure it out. So for those of you, if you haven't started doing anything with NSX, um, if I can figure it out, you definitely can figure <laughs> it out. Well, when we get into the PowerShell stuff, that's where the roles got reversed. So one of the things you got that was really cool for John and I both was we had known about each other. We hadn't really worked together. We came to the same company. We, we, found, we figured out really quick who had which skill set and where we complemented each other because on a, we had eight weeks, by the way. We were told the truck is here, it needs to roll on this date, and that was an eight-week window to go from bare metal, nothing in the racks, to fully functional and on its way to Las Vegas. So the time crunch on this was insane. So we'll talk about some of the pressure situations of, of some of this. So this one's a little bit of an eye chart, but you know, we, do, we did want people to realize that there is multiple VLANs, there's a, a spine leaf architecture on the physical switches. Um, we built it just like a real data center. We didn't want people to walk in and think that it was smoke and mirrors. Um, so it made it a little bit more to manage for us, but one of the other design considerations we had was, okay, if we're gonna run NSX, how do we get to the out of band stuff? How do we actually get to the iDRAC cards? How do we get to the, the cohesity nodes that have IPMI cards in them. So we had to develop a way for us to have VPN access without an NSX gateway as the VPN endpoint because if for some reason vSphere or something in the stack blew up that was on the virtualization layer, we needed to get to the physical backend. So there's actually two dedicated VLANs that we have access to over a VPN tunnel with a 4G connection at all times. 
So in this thing, not when it's rolling down the road, but when it's parked, we actually have 4G access we'll talk about in a second. So the more we started to think about this, the more our heads hurt, the more we lost sleep, the more the time window got smaller, and we had to really start drawing this out. And, and uh, NSX was a big piece of it, as well as uh, we have like some ubiquity stuff running the, the, the edge gateway and, and whatnot. But um, when it's at the yard, we actually have a hardline internet connection. We can plug it into an actual public IP address. Okay, so we're gonna sit on this slide for a while and kind of talk through some of this stuff. This is John's favorite emoji, by the way. Uh, we use this at an internal company presentation. But, but when we started to think about this rolling data center, it's one thing to call something a black site. It's another thing to say, let's take the black site and put the black site on wheels and drive it to different areas of the country where you may or may not have internet access, 4G access. You may, you may have it from Sprint. You might have it from Verizon. So how do you deal with multiple carriers? Is satellite an option? Right? We would literally make lists of, of things we could do for connectivity. What thing, latency. I mean, what were some of these things we, we sat at the whiteboard for hours on, mm -hmm. in one day? Yeah, so especially the latency part of it, because if you figure with a VPN tunnel, for us to be able to remote into it meant that we had to at least be able to provide some sort of mechanism to connect to it. So that's where we added the view environment in so that we could do things over kind of a, kind of a clunky, clunky uh, gummed up internet connection so that it really didn't matter uh, from our endpoints, if we were getting high latency, things things would still perform relatively well when we were interacting with the with the UIs um, inside of inside of the truck itself. Yeah. So you know the the view environment, which is something that I hadn't been exposed to either, <laughs> on top of NSX. So him having to tell me all the view components that had to go into things uh, that happened. So <laughs> so we also sat down and we said, well, what about power? How are we powering this thing? So does anybody run their entire data center on a generator 24-7 with diesel fuel? We do. And guess what? The tanks run out of gas every once in a while. The generator fails. It's happened four or five times. It's ran out of gas once. That was when we were in New Jersey. But how much do we need to have battery backup? So if you actually look in this thing, there is literally probably the two biggest UPSs I've ever put in racks, 19U APCs, we calculated it out to run about an hour of runtime because we also wanted to give the driver enough time to troubleshoot the generator issue before we said, time's up, start the shutdown procedure. And how long is that shutdown procedure gonna take? I think when we had the first conversation, somebody said, how long is it gonna take to power this up? And we had no idea. We literally took a silly wild ass guess and went, two hours. <laughs> and they looked at us and said, why so long? And we said, cause we don't know what the hell we're dealing with yet. <laughs> <laughs> like, we literally had no gear. We, we were going off of just paper and thoughts and theories and hypothesis and all of these things. And I think, what do we get? What is it at now? What is our startup time? What's our shutdown time? Startups roughly around 30 minutes. Shutdown can go down in about 22. So once we started figuring that out, we knew how much we could have for a battery backup and how far we could go, right? So John wanted me to talk about the time synchronization. So we're standing at the whiteboard one day, and actually this, this, all these stories are true. So we go to Power vCenter and log in, and nothing's working. And so we quickly figure out it was a time sync issue. It wouldn't connect to AD. Everything was AD integrated. And I sat there at my laptop, and I went, oh, it's time issue. All right, I'll uh, wait a second. And I looked at John, and I said, so let's suppose we get no internet where we're going. Where the hell are we going to get NTP services? 
because we had configured it to get NTP from time.nist.gov and we're sitting on a hard line and we're at the shop and everything's happy. And he literally turned five shades of white. I thought he was gonna pass out. <laughs> because it, he processed it and went, I don't know, because every data center I've ever built, the time came from the time servers that the network guys ran in the back of the shop. <laughs> so how do we do this? We struggled with this for about a day. I took a trip up to Seattle for the weekend. I was sitting there having a beer with my best friend and he starts Googling it and he's like, did you Google it? I'm like, no, I didn't Google it. I haven't had time to Google it yet. And we actually found a company called Time Machines. If you open up the back of the racks, there's a 1U plate and it has these two GPS time servers and that's all they do. They run off of GPS antennas, like a Sirius satellite antenna, and they do nothing but dish out time. And we have two of them because we did everything redundant because you don't know if you're going to have a building on this side and nothing on that side. We wanted to make sure, we, we were not going to take any chances. So everything in the truck, when a network stack starts up, when they throw the breakers, the network switches come online, those GPS servers come online, and we wait about 20 minutes for everything to get booted up. And at that point, we can start his scripting procedure to do the startup. Well, and I'll mention also, not, not only that, but the storage array also comes up because yeah. for, especially on the shutdown procedure, uh, especially with a couple of vendors that we've worked with, um, the realization was once you shut down all I.O. To those, to those storage arrays, you can basically pull the power all day long and no problem. I mean, we've literally been doing it for almost a year now against two different storage arrays and have had zero storage array so problems. We, we had this question and we, I, I DM'd, I don't know if you guys know... Uh, uh, Cody? Cody. Uh, Cody Hosterman at Pure when we first bought the Pure. And we said, I hit him up on Twitter, I'm like, hey, hypothetical situation. How do you kill the power to a pure like 20 times a month? And he goes, what? And I said, well, long story, but I just need to know like, what's the shutdown procedure? He goes, honestly, once the IO is gone, just pull the plug. And I said, what? He goes, no, no, it's perfectly fine. Just pull the plug. So we tested it about four or five times and sure as shit, comes up every time. <laughs> now there's an HP and it does the same thing. Yeah, so, but, but that was the big thing when we were talking with HPE about that same storage array, we were like, have you tested this? Yeah, do, and they kind of looked at us like, no, nobody's ever asked us before. <laughs> so apparently we tested that for them. Yeah. Um, rack stabilization was a big issue. So that the trailer came to us with the racks. So we didn't actually build the racks. The the you have to understand how this stuff works. We learned a lot about the trucking industry. So the trailer company, they build custom trailers, but this one had been built for someone else that leased it. So we actually leased the trailer. The driver owns the tractor. So he tows it and we wrapped his truck and we have to unwrap his truck, which we've already done once and then rewrapped it. But we started to load gear and what we figured out was when they built the racks, they must have built it like 10 or nine, eight or nine years ago. And we started putting in hyperconverged stuff that weighs a lot and the rails started to bow out as we were racking gear. So we stopped and we said, okay, new problem. Got any pipe clamps? Because we got to bring this stuff back together. I mean, we're, we literally lived in this thing for eight weeks in the truck shop. We were in the shop. We got to know all the guys there. Like, we, we were one of the, actually, we, we go there now, and they're just like, hey, you guys are back. What are you doing? So to, to, to kind of dovetail into more rack stabilization, you remember the first rail kits that we got for the, uh, the Dells? Yeah. So you got to remember, the motion for usually in the back of a truck is up and down. So the rails we got were more gravity-based. You didn't secure them onto it, they just sat on something. Nobody makes those front to back rails anymore. It's just like a shelf, like, yeah. and then you bolt in the front. Yeah, so, so we were looking at it and going, what are we going to do? And just kind of like the whole time, time thing, we Googled a couple of things and realized you could get these cross stabilizer bars 
that basically screw in on each side and can kind of hold it in place. We did some so, reverse shelves, like yep. some short shelves and reverse mounted them on the back and somebody leaned on it and we bolted it in and then just tried to lift the servers. A lot of it was just, can I grab this and move it? Like, can I do stuff with it? Um, it the, the kind of the list goes on and on and on, but th this is just a, a high level of what we dealt with in probably the first couple of weeks mm -hmm. of, of building this thing. So I mentioned it was eight weeks start to finish and we'll, we'll have a couple more anecdotes and stories, but um, this was, we actually took a lot of pictures as we were building it. So we had to literally muscle, yeah, now there's a door, right? And you have to get everything in through the, the side doors and then maneuver it to get it into the rack and not break the glass doors in the process because they don't come off. So somebody's always had to hold the glass door. And uh, a story on the UPSs. So those are the two UPSs, I think, that you can see. Um, I think there's one of me. No, that's a different picture. But I'll explain the whiteboard one. That was an interesting day. But we had to figure out how to secure the batteries. So if you've actually ever used one of these UPSs, it blew my mind. The power supply stack on the left-hand side has a retainer pin with a screw on it that holds it into the chassis. The batteries on the right side, no retainer. You can grab the handle, pull it out. And we're looking at that going, there's a big glass door in front of that 60 pound battery and there's four of those batteries. So if he hits a really good bump or slams on the brakes, we got a problem. So we went to the guys in the shop and we gave them the, pro like these guys were great. I mean, the, the, cause you deal with a bunch of fabricators. So we asked them sh sh stuff and <laughs> I'm gonna lose the bet on how many times I <laughs> drop a profanity, but, um, and we would go to them and say, hey, this is the problem. How do we solve it? Can we fabricate something? And they said, yeah, well, we found out that there's like this little tapped area on the top of the chassis that they could put a thumb screw in. No, they tapped that out. They actually drilled that, but there was a slot in the bottom and they built this strap and put padding on it. And when the driver leaves, he inserts this and locks it down. And we've actually had an instance where I went in there and one of the batteries had popped out and hit that bar. So we can go back in and reseat them. And this is all stuff you have to figure out before it rolls down the road the first time. Because you did, we didn't want to have an instance where it just shattered stuff. So that was that was the the batteries were an interesting an interesting uh, day as well. So you want to talk about the network stack for a minute? The so we we call it the Thursday. No, it was a Monday, right? Oh. It was the the Monday of doom. So just like any major project, there's always something right near the end of it where you're supposed to get completed, but then something that tries to unravel the project. And in this particular case. I love our network guy, but this was not a good time to perform the operation but in question. Why don't you explain what we had for a while okay. on the network side? So, as we explained earlier, we had Cisco switches. And we're doing you know, your standard leaf spine networking. Um, the 9Ks were not available for us until later in this project. So, we actually had started off with a single Arista switch, and we gave him explicit instructions. Explicit. When, when you get here and you want to replace those, let me know, and it, gives, and it gave me an opportunity to test the shutdown procedure, because I want to shut this down because it's going to cause impact to the entire network stack, and because like, you know, iSCSI storage and everything else, things are going to go haywire. He didn't tell me. Uh, all of a sudden, well, no, I'm- We're in the conference room. Yeah, well, I, I am. No you yeah, are, I yeah, yeah you, were on, you were on phone, because I, I, was, I was working with something with you, and all of a sudden, nothing was working. I started, I started hitting some of the ESX consoles, and they always tell you from a storage perspective, there are certain error messages you never want to see. He saw- I saw of four of them. <laughs> four different types of error messages that basically- All storage related. Yep, all storage related. So but as, you, as you can imagine, every virtual machine in the environment was inaccessible. So 
at that particular point, um, and you hung up on me. Well, yeah, I hung up on <laughs> you because I had to find go, go back there and find out that he was ripping the switches out and putting new ones in. So nothing was working at all. Period. Even well, after he, we, even after we rebooted the long and short things, was he was putting the nine Ks in. Didn't tell us. Got them all racked. Said he had them configured. You shut mm -hmm. everything down and brought it all back up. Yeah, and still nothing was working. And of course, he had to tell us, "Oh, I have to go back to headquarters and work on something else." Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow. Yeah, I'll see you tomorrow with only 48 hours to go before we ship this thing out and nothing's working. So, we're in panic mode. Um, Chris I swore a lot that day. Uh, I I could <laughs> I could feel his blood pressure rising on the phone call as we started to talk this through and we immediately identified we're not I'm, I mean I'm not a network guy you've been into I know it. enough to be dangerous uh, well MTUs everybody knows that if you don't set your MTUs properly globally across the board well, you're we gonna were, have some issues we were using NSX we needed you know we had everything set to MTU 9000 when he ripped the switches out he swore he set the MTU and I said no you didn't He's like no I did and I said no you didn't he said well prove it and I went okay so I was like ping 1500 works fine. 1501, no bueno. It's an MTU size. <laughs> so he had to actually go research it. Apparently on the 9Ks, and I don't know the 9Ks, but there was a QoS policy and some other stuff. We, had, it, it, we lost, so it had to roll on Friday. John was actually testing the scripting, the shutdown scripting and the test. You lost two days. Mm -hmm. Literally two days of the final testing phase. So we had to follow the truck to Vegas. He was working on the scripting while it was at its first show. <laughs> while I was actually in the back working on something else. Like we actually traveled with it for the first couple of weeks because the bugs and work some stuff out and did the, did the retainers work? Did stuff really fly out of the racks? Are we gonna have issues? Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that was, we had, we had some tense times. I mean, I've worked on a lot. I mean, you guys have worked on projects that you thought you were gonna kill the guy you were with or a girl you were with. Like there was actually one day where I, I, that day I almost killed, we were, we were trying to figure out how many ways we could disassemble Michael, the network guy, and hide him in different areas of San Jose. Because we thought, we actually, we, we weren't sure if we lost everything. Like it was seven and a half weeks worth of work and we thought it was gone. I mean, we had backups, we had Khaleesi running, we had, our, we had stuff there, but we didn't know what the time frame was going to be to bring it all back and it had to be in, in Las Vegas. I, I actually prepped Brian at one point, our project manager, and I said, just in case, you should have a way to go tell Lynn, the CMO, that the entire truck is broken <laughs> on its first trip. And he said, I don't want to have that conversation. And I said, I know you don't, but you should process how you might have to have that conversation. Just prep yourself. So to kind of wrap this up, yeah. um, I will state this. This has been one of the most interesting projects that I've, that I've had to work on. I mean, most folks don't get That's it. That's one way to put it. Well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's just say that for the most part, it, we definitely got an introduction to each other. Yeah. Um, the you learn a lot about each other when you spend eight weeks in the back yeah. of a trailer. Yeah. Plus, plus also we, we never really got into it, but the maintenance we've had to travel a couple of times during. But again, with the trucking industry, there's some things like driver resets and forced time off, and we've had to do some updates because 4G connecti connectivity is kind of unreliable for gigs and gigs of patch downloads. So, or when you know somebody wants you to rip a pure array out and put a nimble array, you kind of have to be there. Yeah. And oh, by the way, that was fun because we had to tear our entire storage platform out in two days so that they could bring it here. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, but uh, I, I definitely know it's definitely a resume thing for me, uh, especially for anybody who's into edge data centers. Um, it's a very unique, unique use case. And from some of your perspectives, hopefully you get an opportunity to do something as unique as this. Although, um, 
maybe not with either one of us. No, because we'll never do it again. But uh, if you want to know where the rig is, uh, cohesity.com slash tour. It just started its loop again. So if you're a VMUG leader or you're a partner, uh, you can act, there's actually a page at the bottom to request it. So it's actually been, a couple partners have actually had some really good success bringing it to a partner event. So uh, we won't be there. <laughs> Sometimes we're there. If we're there, we do a little Q&A and stuff with people like this. But uh, come see us at the booth if you want, want to ask more questions or, or just get some more information about it. All right. Thank you.